following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. For the past three Sundays now, our gospel readings have all focused on Jesus' parables as told to us in the Gospel of Matthew. Three weeks ago, the parable of the farmer scattering seed. Two weeks ago, the parable of the weeds and the wheat. And then just last week, a set of five short parables, the mustard seed, the yeast, the buried treasure, the precious pearl, and the fishing net. Jesus uses each of these parables to show us the kingdom of heaven, to show us the the new creation, to describe for us beloved community, which is God's dream and God's intention for this world. Now, parables are, of course, metaphors, seemingly simple on their surface, but holding depths of meaning underneath. Parables extend what we know into something we haven't known yet. They expand our understanding, expand our experience by using what is familiar to reveal something more. Jesus, of course, was a master at teaching with parables. In fact, about a a third of Jesus' recorded teachings are parables. But now with today's story, we shift a bit from parables to a miracle story with Matthew's version of the feeding of the multitude. It's the only miracle story that's included in all four of the Gospels. And in fact, Matthew and Mark seem to have liked this story so much that they each tell it twice, with only small variations in the numbers. Each version, all six of them, present the very same basic core dilemma. The crowds have followed Jesus out to a deserted place to hear him teach and to experience his healing power. And when evening comes that day, it becomes apparent that folks did not come to that place prepared, for there doesn't seem to be enough food. The disciples can find only a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish, in fact. And in today's version of the story, then the disciples rather reasonably, we must admit, suggest to Jesus that he send the crowd away so that they can all go into the nearby villages and find food for themselves. But Jesus, as Jesus does, rather unreasonably, commands the disciples instead, no, no, you give them something to eat. And that, I think, is the heart of this miracle story. You give them something to eat. For I can imagine Jesus saying those very same words to us today, just as clearly as to the disciples on that deserted shore in Galilee. You give them something to eat. For friends, our neighborhoods are absolutely filled with hungry people. Some of them hungry for food, some of them hungry for justice, some of them hungry for a place of belonging. In fact, the earth itself is hungry now for relief. The earth is hungry for relief from our overconsumption that has pushed our climate now to new extremes, and it is our responsibility. It is our calling, it is our blessing, it is our opportunity faithfully to respond to that hunger, to feed, to advocate, to welcome, to care, to act, to act toward beloved community. Though it may seem to us at times as it did for the disciples that day that there is not enough to go around, that there is not enough food, that there is not enough justice, that there is not enough connection, that there is not enough time, 
Yet the miracle story we just read insists for us that as we open our minds, as we open our hearts, as we open our hands, we will discover over and over again that there is indeed more than enough for all. For God has provided, and God continually provides more than enough for every creature, not just to survive, but to thrive. It just depends on what we do with it and how we divide it up. Now, it's been suggested that Jesus' miracle stories really should be read and approached as parables, as parables in disguise, parables with Jesus inside of them. Like the parables that Jesus tells, these miracle stories with Jesus in them can be explored in a very similar way. Again, although seemingly simple on their surface, they reveal deeper truths. And so today's story, for example, on the surface level, may seem like a simple story, that Jesus is able magically to multiply bread and fish so that there is enough for all. But dig a little deeper, and this isn't, of course, a story about magic. It's a story about our perception of the world. It's a story that asks us to reconsider, is there enough to go around or not? Does God provide enough for everyone or just for some? And if there is enough for everyone, then what does it mean for us to share this world that God has made? How shall we care for each other and for the earth? Fundamentally, fundamentally, what sort of people will we choose to be? Bring what you have to me, Jesus says, however little, however much. When it's offered to each other through Jesus' hands, there is more than enough to go around. Indeed, today's story doesn't end simply with everyone eating, although that would have been surprising enough. But no, we are told all ate and were filled, and then beyond that, they had 12 baskets of leftovers too. Such abundant provision is a theme that runs throughout our whole scriptures. God doesn't operate only in enough, but beyond that, into abundance. Recall just a few of the many other instances in our scriptures, similarly strange but wonderful stories. Three weeks ago, the parable of the farmer, who doesn't plant just enough seed, but plants far too much of it, flinging it wildly all over the place. Or recall Jesus' first public miracle, as told to us in the Gospel of John, the wedding at Cana, where the wine runs out early. Jesus turns water into wine, which would have been surprising enough, certainly, but he doesn't just turn some wine into a little, or some water into a little wine. We're told that he makes about 180 gallons of the very best wine they've ever tasted, running straight through enough, right on into abundance. Or in Luke chapter 15, perhaps one of Jesus' most familiar parables, the story of the son who takes his inheritance while the the father is, is still living and then he wastes all of it. Recall that when the son comes back to himself and then comes back to his family, his father doesn't just welcome him, although that would have been surprising enough. But no, the father runs out to greet his son before he can get there. And then the father goes out to get his other son too, to do whatever he can to ensure that everyone knows the family isn't whole without all of them. Over and over again, Jesus tells us stories like this, and he embodies this abundance too. This is what God is like. He's telling us, he's showing us, this 
his beloved community. That very same abundance is woven into the very fabric of creation, too. Consider the lilies of the field Jesus invited us. But don't just stop there. Don't just stop at the lilies. No, consider the vast variety of the flowers that God has made in all shapes and sizes and colors, acclimated to different environments, to, to bud and to blossom in different ways and at different times. It really is excessive, don't you think? Or consider the miraculous diversity of people. More than 8 billion of us living now, plus all those who came before us and, and all those who will come after us, no two of us exactly the same. Each and every one of us, an unrepeatable and irreplaceable gift and expression of God's love. There is, it seems, just something in the nature of this God, this God in whose image we are made, that tends toward extravagance and abundance. The kingdom of heaven is like that, Jesus says. Beloved community isn't prudent or cautious and doesn't play it safe. In fact, perhaps most imprudently of all, God insists on this new creation, this beloved community, being born through our participation. Give them something to eat, Jesus says to us, inviting us to be involved. Although the disciples in today's story don't think that they have enough to make a difference, they aren't allowed to just be passive observers to some miracle that Jesus performs. No, give them something to eat, however much you can find. Beloved community is collaborative. It's about Jesus and us together. We are included in the miracle that God is making. That can be easy for us to overlook, though, perhaps especially in miracle stories. For the scale of the need, about 5,000 men plus women plus children, it's so large that it must be beyond us. And so we focus on what Jesus does. And we forget what Jesus says, and that the disciples are involved. Barbara Brown Taylor has called this the problem with miracle stories. We tend to get so mesmerized by them, she writes, focusing on God's responsibility and forgetting our own. Miracles let us off the hook. Miracles appeal to the part of us that's all too happy to let God feed the crowd, let God save the world, let God do it all. We don't have what it takes, after all, she writes. What, what we have to offer isn't enough to make any difference, so we hold back and we wait for a miracle. We look after our own needs, and we look for God to do the rest. Seated among the multitude, knowing but not really wanting to acknowledge that there are hungry people and a hurting world all around us, we wait for God to act. We hold on to our bread, we hold on to our fish, we hold on to whatever other resources we have. They may not be much, we say to ourselves, but they're ours. And besides, isn't Jesus in charge of the feeding? What difference can my little meal make? God will provide, we say, all too often, so let God provide. Send the crowds away so they can go buy food for themselves. No, they need not go away, Jesus says to the disciples and now to us, you, you give them something to eat. Quit waiting for bread to just fall from the sky and share the bread you already have. Quit waiting for justice to just roll down like waters and work toward justice where you are. Quit waiting for a miracle to happen. 
and start participating in one instead. However little, however much, bring what you have to me, Jesus says. That's where a beloved community begins in offering what we have, in changing what we can, beginning with ourselves, trusting it's always enough to begin. One more example I would share with you this morning. God's abundant provision working through our participation. It's a story many of you will know better than I do, for it's newer to me than it is to you. Among the stories that you've been sharing with me during our recent neighborhood gatherings, one that I've heard a few times now is is about the County Clothing Center. Some of you I know serve there on a regular basis. It's a ministry that began just down the hall in this building. Almost 30 years ago, just a, a few folks noticed a growing need in our community for access to free clothing. And then those few folks became a few more folks. One congregation became a dozen congregations, or five loaves of bread and two fish became enough to feed a whole crowd. And what began as a once a month clothing distribution here in Pearson Hall now is a clothing center in its own permanent location, providing clothes in all sizes and styles available three days every week to whomever has need of them. Bring me what you have, Jesus says. Bring me whatever you have. Whatever resources, whatever skills, whatever passions, whatever you've noticed are the needs in your neighborhood, just start there and then share it. Be the first in the crowd to turn your pockets inside out. Be the first on your block to start a miracle growing. What we have may not be enough to solve the whole problem, but it's better that we do something than nothing. Better to offer what we can. They need not go away. Whether hungry for food or hungry for justice or hungry for community or hungry for climate justice, give them something to eat. So I wonder this morning, and I would invite and encourage you to wonder with me in the days to come. I wonder what miracle God intends to do through us, through us today. Let us pray. God of abundant provision and extravagant grace, we give you thanks for summer fields so filled with flowers, so ablaze with color. We give you thanks for generous days and for gracious relationships, for a world so diverse and varied, so filled with purpose and mystery. And we give you thanks that you breathe your life into us that you give us a share in your divine creativity. Bless us now with a clear sense of your calling. Move our feet to participate with you in answering the prayers that we bring. Comfort all who mourn, heal all who are sick, and then nudge each of us by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit to be your hands, to be your feet, to be your heart and your voice in the lives of our neighbors. Strengthen all who struggle toward a more just and equitable world. And give us the courage we need to live with open hands, to share what we have, and to trust that whatever it is, it is enough. For little always becomes much when it is offered to you. When you take it and bless it, when you break it and give it, there is always more than enough for all.
So pour out your grace in abundance upon us this day, upon Jane, upon Julie, upon Hal and all of the family and friends of Lee. Pour out your grace in abundant ways upon our congregation that we would serve this community where you have placed us to be. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kent.org.